So we've got a lot of ground to cover. I know it looks like a few verses in terms of the book of Numbers, the chunks we've taken in previous occasions. So I want to dive straight in. And we've got three headings. Verses 1 to 9, the staff meeting. Verses 10 through 11, the significance of Aaron's staff sprouting. And then finally, verses 12 and 13, the people's response. So verses 1 and 9, the staff meeting. I suspect several of you in your workplaces may well have on one occasion or many, many occasions had a staff meeting. You know, a problem or an issue arises within your team at work and your boss calls all the staff together and says, we need to resolve this issue now. Well, in many ways, that is what we describe before us in verses 1 through 9. There's a problem among the people of God. Korah and his companions have been complaining, grumbling regarding Aaron. In fact, they've, they've buttered up their argument in biblical language and they've said, God, aren't we all holy? Quoting from Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. Aren't we all a kingdom of priests? Shouldn't all of us be able to come into your presence and serve you in your holy place? And so God calls, pardon the pun, quite literally a a staff meeting. You see, he calls for all of the leaders of the tribes to come and bring their staffs with them. And in the ancient world, a staff was a symbol of authority. Our late queen and now our monarch, King Charles, has a scepter, symbol of his authority and presence. Well, when you read through the Old Testament, especially the first few books of the Bible, you actually discover that staffs played a key role in the life of God's people. Can you remember back to when we read about the significance of staffs in God's people's history? Moses, at the burning bush, he's really reluctant to become a leader of God's people. He makes all the excuses of the day. I stammer and I stutter. I could never speak to Pharaoh. God says to him, what is it you have in your hand? Moses says, a staff. God says, then throw it down. He throws it down and it becomes a snake. And we're told that Moses wanted to run away. And then God spoke to him again and said, pick it up by its tail. And so he picked the snake up by its tail and it became a staff. The next chapter, Moses and Aaron are involved in the first staff meeting. They go before Pharaoh and Moses says to Aaron, Aaron, throw down your staff. Aaron's staff becomes a snake. Then Pharaoh says to all his wise men and sorcerers and magicians, throw down your staffs, and their staffs become snakes. And yet there's that moment where Aaron's staff, Aaron's snake, swallows up all of Pharaoh's snakes. And it points us forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Death, God's enemy, sin is swallowed up in victory. And then you literally just read through the book of Exodus and plague after plague, the staff is used. As the people cross the Red Sea, 
staff is used. As as they're in the wilderness and they're longing for water, the staff is used to strike the the rock and the water flows. Well, here's another key moment in Old Testament redemptive history. And God says, I want the staffs to be brought from all the tribes. And Aaron, and this is unusual because he's not the leader of the Levites, but he is God's appointed high priest. You're going to represent the Levites. So engrave your name as well on your staff. And so Moses sends out the invitation, all the leaders gather, and Moses says, I have to place them in the, te- in the tent of meeting, right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you look down at verse 5, you see God had two purposes. When the next day they would return, and Moses would go in, whatever staff sprouted, Whatever staff, all the, just wooden sticks, all dead, inanimate objects, whatever one came to life in the presence of the holy God, that would be God's chosen leader. And, in verse 5, we're told that the second purpose was it would be a sign. It would be a visual reminder for God's people that they ought not to grumble against their God. Now picture the scene with me, right? All the leaders bring their staffs, they give it to Moses. Moses enters into the tent of meeting, goes into the holy place, puts them there before the Ark of the Covenant, where God has always promised to meet his people. He walks out and he says to the people, go home. We'll come back in the morning. And you can well imagine that all of the leaders, of the, all of the chiefs of the various tribes, you know, having a, a sleepless night just filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. Is it going to be our staff? Are we going to be God's chosen ones to serve and minister in the temple? And so you can imagine them arriving that morning and then we read that Moses goes into the tent of meeting and he comes out with all the staffs. Now we're not told, we could maybe take the names of some of the leaders from, from chapter 1 in the census, but I can well imagine, right, as, as Moses begins handing out the staffs, that, you know, there's the leader of the tribe of Dan, being like, see the one that sprouted, see the one that's got all the leaves and the almonds, that's mine. And Moses looking for the tribe of Dan and scribes, in that's yours. And the same thing happened with Reuben, and the same thing again and again with Benjamin. Until there's one staff, and it's clear for all to see that it's Aaron's. God in this moment is vindicating his chosen leader, the high priest of God's people. It will be Aaron and his descendants. This staff that in the, in the presence of a holy God, get this, we are told in verse 8, did it just sprout? No, buddy. It blossomed. That is, flowers came out, and, and we know that almond flowers would be, are white. And added to that, it bore fruit. In the presence of God's holiness, Aaron's staff came to life and bore fruit. You know what God was saying to all his people? The tribe of Levi is my holy tribe for my holy work in the temple. Aaron's been vindicated as God's holy 
leader. He is the one who will go in one day a year into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for his own sin and for the entire nation's sin. Now, if we're just, just to feel this moment in redemptive history as we, we come to our second head, the significance of the staff sprouting, can you imagine how Aaron had been feeling for the last few days, if not weeks and months? God had given him and Moses this huge, this enormous task when they were back in Egypt. You are to lead God's people out into the wilderness. And in many ways, it was like herding cats. Because God's people continued to reject them, grumble about them. And amazingly, in God's amazing providence, following the plagues, following the Red Sea, they were led out of Egypt, of bondage and slavery. Then they were brought to Mount Sinai, and they were given the law of God. But what did God's people rebel? And then Moses and Aaron led the people to the brink of the promised land. They sent in the 12 spies. They came back with evidence that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. And all of the people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, no thanks. We don't want to go in. We want to go back to Egypt. And then in chapter 16, three times, three series of rebellions, of revolts, all against Aaron and Moses. And you can't help but think he must have been really downcast and discouraged. And so here in the presence of the entire congregation, God gives them this very public vindication. This is my chosen one to enter into my holy presence. You and I need to know this, right? God loves to encourage discouraged people of faith. God loves to encourage his discouraged servants. When Jesus, who is the one that Aaron points forward to as the the great high priest, came here to earth, The father spoke from heaven at his baptism and said, This is my beloved son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. The Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus revealed his glory to his inner circle, the same voice spoke again to encourage him. God loves to encourage his discouraged servants. Now here's the thing. You and I, as God's people, we often get discouraged. And do you know that one of the most tragic realities? Sometimes the source of our discouragement doesn't come from outside the church. It comes from within the church. It doesn't come from people who are not God's people, but it can often come from people who are God's people. That's the case for Aaron. And so God, he delights to be the one who encourages his people. And do you know how God encourages you and I? Through his word. Through the promises of his word. We we should bathe ourselves in scripture because there we find encouragement for our Christian lives. But you know in the wisdom of God, another way, another means by which he wants us to receive encouragement is from one another. 
it is a tragedy that we as God's people can be a source of discouragement for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you read through the New Testament, instruction after instruction says things like this. Hebrews 3 verse 13, encourage one another daily as it is called today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11, therefore encourage one another, build each other up. Throughout the Bible, there's just this constant refrain, this constant call. We as God's people aren't to be a source of discouragement, but we're supposed to be a source of encouragement for one another. Because here's the reality. In the journey of faith, it's easy to get discouraged. And that brings me to the second significance of the, the staff sprouting. You see, God was making clear to his people that he'd appointed a means by which they could approach him and come near to him. The headlines the last couple of weeks has included a, a lot of religious news because of the, the, the synod of the Church of England. And I don't know if you've, you've seen any of it, but one of the headline stories was the Church of England. Some ministers and theologians want to start using gender-neutral language, more inclusive language when speaking about God. You know the problem with that? That's blasphemy. You know the real problem with that? Is we don't get to approach God on our own terms, in our own way, according to our own imaginations. God has appointed a way for us to approach Him. And in the Old Covenant, God's means for which they could enter into His most holy presence was through the high priest. God had set up a way so His people would know, you can't just casually, flippantly come into my presence. You can't treat me as you think. You must treat me as I have revealed. And all of this was pointing to the day that the great high priest, Jesus, would come. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And the amazing thing is that if you trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, you and I have access, as we are right now, in the very holy of holies. Because Christ has torn a veil. And we can come into the holy presence of God. And this staff sprouting was God communicating to his people, Aaron is the means by which you can approach me. Pointing the people forward to the day that there would be, for the new covenant people, access into the very presence of God. Because he would make the once and for all sacrifice. And so here's some encouragement, right? You and I have a privilege that God's old covenant people did not have. We can come before God. We can enter into his most holy presence. In fact, as we're in his most holy presence, the great high priest Jesus is living, ever lives to intercede. He's praying for us. As we worship him right now, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. And his prayer for you is for your ultimate good and his glory. But we come as he has revealed through his son to the father. And that was what God was communicating through this staff. The the third thing that the staff's sprouting, and this is the, the real part when we get into the meat of it. It's lost on us, but it certainly would not have been lost on God's ancient people. So the staff, right, 
in God's holy presence sprouted, buds, blossomed, flowers, almond fruit. Moses walks out and, and he lifts up Aaron's staff and everyone sees it. It looks like an almond branch. It looks like an almond bush. Now, if you were a Jew, you know what you would see immediately? When you see an almond bush, spring it's on its way. You see, in, in the Middle East, the first bush to flower is an almond bush. It's a sign that the winter is coming to an end and spring is dawning. And then added to that, can you think of anywhere else in Scripture where almond is mentioned? Exodus chapter 25. The lampstand. It, 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 was, it was designed to look like an almond bush. Buds and flowering. It was stylized like an almond. And, and, and the lampstand was to be in God's holy presence right there in front of the Ark of the Covenant as the light, bringing life to, light and life to God's people. And so God's people would see this staff and it's like an almond bush and they would say, spring it's on its way. New creation is coming. Blessing of light and life in God. But, but, but there's another passage where almond is mentioned. Jeremiah chapter 1. God speaking to Jeremiah. And he says, you see an almond branch. And, and it's a sign of what? God is about to bring to fulfillment his promises to his people. And so what is lost on us was not lost on God's people. Aaron's staff sprouting, budding, flowering, producing almond fruit was God's way of saying to his people, I am about to bring you blessing upon blessing than you, more than you could ever imagine. And here's, here's the incredible thing. In, our, in a sense, Aaron brought God's people blessing. Just in the previous chapter, he halted the judgment of God. He made atonement on behalf of the people. But here's the problem. Aaron was a sinner. And because of his sin... He never entered the promised land. And his descendants served God faithfully in the role of the high priest, but they too were sinners. And they were all pointing to Jesus, the sinless Savior who had to come. And in Christ, light and life and new creation and blessing unimaginable came. Because on the cross, he took the penalty and the punishment and the curse for sin. And he instead gave his people blessing of life and light and the forgiveness of sin. And in his resurrection, he conquered the grave. He defeated the enemy, death. Just as God brought life from a dead stick, so Christ on the cross in his death and then through his resurrection brings life to his people. And all of this is symbolized and, and, and um, pointed to in Aaron's staff, which budded. You know, in many ways, as we, as we think about this, as we meditate upon this, as you think about all that Christ, the great high priest, came to bring us as his people, is it cause for grumbling? Of course not. It's cause for rejoicing.
It's cause for our trust to be put firmly and securely in him. Now, the reason I say it was a cause for grumbling is because we're told in verse 5 and then in verse 10 that the reason God was going to put this staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant is so that God's people would never grumble again so that they might not die. Now, here's a thought. How seriously do you take grumbling? How seriously do you take it when you just start grumbling against people about your circumstances? Because God's word reveals it's a deadly sin. It's deadly dangerous. It will lead to your ultimate death. Eternal death. If it's not put an end to Because you're not grumbling against people. You're not grumbling against circumstances as we've seen in chapter 16. You're ultimately grumbling against God. And grumbling, you might think, well, it doesn't hurt anyone. You know, it it doesn't rob anyone. No, 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 you're wrong. It does. It grieves the Holy Spirit and it robs God of the glory that he deserves. There's an American theologian who says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Well, when we are most dissatisfied with God and we grumble, then God is robbed of the glory that he is due. And that is the, the tragedy. And so God says, like, I want this staff, Aaron's staff that sprouted and budded. I want it to be placed in front of the Ark of the Covenant so that it will function as a means to put an end to God's people's grumbling. Now, you, you stand back from that and you think, how's that possible? Well, because when God's people discovered what it ultimately was intended to point them to, which is the Messiah and his work, is what Jesus has done cause for grumbling. It's it's cause for rejoicing. It's cause for trusting. How can you and I grumble when we know that we deserve eternal hell and Jesus took it on the cross so that we could receive eternal blessing? How can you and I grumble, right? In the resurrection of Jesus, we're given new life. We're given a, a taste of the life that is to come in Christ. How can we grumble? How can we grumble when God has given us his one and only son, now our elder brother, Jesus Christ, and he promises, if I've given you him, how shall I not graciously give you all things needed for life? How can we grumble? You know the antidote to grumbling for God's people? Is the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus. And so the question that comes to us all this morning is, what is our response to the cross and resurrection of Jesus? And now we come to the final, the final two verses, the people's response, verses 12 and 13. And they, they conclude chapter 16 and 17. The Israelites said to Moses, we will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? Now, this is really fascinating. A chapter ago, they were all saying, Surely we're all holy God. Surely we're all kingdom of pre- we're a kingdom of priests. Surely we can all come before you. And now a chapter later they're saying, we're terrified to die. We will not go near God. We will not go near the tabernacle because we are going to die. We will be lost. Now here's the thing, right? 
as we look at them, we should see ourselves. You see, if you're anything like me, we often revert to two things. We're either blasé with God, casual with God, don't take God as seriously as we should think, so we end up being like Korah and his companions. We don't know it, but we, you know, we, we come into God's presence, come to worship, and we've not really given it much serious thought. We've not prepared our hearts. We just think we, we've got the right to be here. And then there's another response, right? Sometimes when we are sinning, sometimes when we are conscious of God, and sometimes when our hearts have been warmed up to God, we come before God, right, and we're so conscious of our unworthiness. And we, we can be like the people here at the other extreme. You know, we should die in God's presence because we realize we've sinned, we, we fail, we mess up, and we're, we know we're so unworthy. Now, here's the beautiful thing. What's the antidote? God's people had the antidote in Aaron's staff that buddied. Because God says in that staff, you can't approach me in any way you want, willy-nilly. You've got to come to me by my appointed means through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, you are unworthy. You do not deserve to be in the presence of God. But because of what Christ has done, you are worthy to be in the presence of God. He has clothed you with a robe of righteousness. He's given you both the privilege, not just the permission, but the welcome and the invitation to come and be in his presence. You know, as we, we, we think of Aaron's staff that buried as we, as we finish this section, this was God's huge vindication of Aaron, but it was ultimately God pointing us forward to Christ, the high priest, the great high priest, who would lead us in to the presence of God. If you want to do something that would be good for your soul this afternoon, go read Hebrews chapter 9. And you'll see there, that God had appointed a means in his old covenant of how his people could approach him and come into his presence through his high priest. And then you'll see that God fulfills all the shadow of the Old Testament in the reality of Christ. And so here's the challenge. Here's, here's, here's where we end. So how are you going to respond this morning? And we need to lift our eyes and we need to fix them firmly. On the wooden cross where the Son of God died. And in his death he has brought us life. And in his life that we now live by faith, we can bear fruit. We can be fruitful as his people. As we are conscious of the fact that God is holy and to be feared. And as we are conscious of the fact that we have been made worthy in Christ to be his children. And so as we go from here, our response is this. We are to trust and we are to rejoice because there is no one like our God. Let's pray. God, we are humbled. You've made it possible for us unholy people, sinners who deserve your wrath, people who constantly grumble, we are humbled to think that you would invite us into your most holy presence through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To think that right now we are in your holy presence. We are 
coming near where the people of old could never come this near. And so, God, we come, we come in awe, and we come in fear, and we come in humility, but we come rejoicing. We come praising you because, because you are worthy to be praised for what you've done in, in your Son, and our elder brother Jesus. And we pray that our eyes would be fixed on him, that we wouldn't be prone to the extremes of running from your presence and fearing your presence, And nor would we run to the extreme of just being flippant or casual in our approach to you. We thank you that in your glorious redemptive purposes, you delight to bring life out of death. We thank you how you have given us new life in Christ. We thank you that how Christ's resurrection is the sign that the spring is coming, new creation is coming. God, fill our hearts with that sense of expectation and longing. There is coming a day where every sin will be removed. All suffering will be gone. Death will be banished. And we will be free to enjoy unhindered communion with you. And so we pray that as we rise from here, as we go from here, we would go into this week living our lives, trusting and rejoicing in you, and that through you, you would be gracious to us, and that you would cause our lives to bear fruit for your kingdom. We pray this in your Son's holy and his precious name. Amen.